Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Lord of the Dance T podcast. I've given up all pretenses towards having <laughs> any kind of production values to this. Just imagine the music if you want. Um, as I've said before, they're quite time consuming to put together. I'm a little way behind in terms of gigs. Uh, but I'm trying to give you a little insight into what it's like on the road uh, and also explain some of the stuff behind the routines in the show without giving anything away. Hopefully you can listen to this podcast without having the show spoiled uh, and still come and see one of the many gigs coming up. Go to richterring.com slash L-O-T-D-S slash tour to see all the remaining shows. I will mention early on that the DVD record is on the 15th of May at the Bloomsbury. It's selling pretty well, but it'd be fantastic if it could sell out. So if you live in London or can get to London, I'm also there on the 14th of May. If you don't want to be filmed because you're having an affair or because you were in that episode of Sapphire and Steel where the monster who appears in photographs or any kind of film thing appears and can get you inside that photograph. If that's you, then come on the 14th of May to the Bloomsbury or come to one of the other gigs on the tour. But uh, 15th of May at the Bloomsbury, you can get the details for that on my website, richardherring.com. Uh, and it's always a lot of fun. There's extra stuff on the DVD records and we mess around a bit. And it's going to be the absolute full show, maybe even with... A little bit extra that wasn't even in Edinburgh, but I can do the full ending with the full surprise uh, that comes at the end, which isn't possible to do on tour. Um, I will briefly mention before we get going that uh, if you're a fan of Rich Channing's Letter Square Theatre podcast, there's currently a Kickstarter going on for to film the videos uh, of that. The audio is going to continue whatever happens. We're doing more in June and July. I haven't got any guests confirmed yet, but there are some exciting people in the frame uh, and uh, to keep the videos going we are trying to do a kickstarter because it's too expensive for us to do that out of the badge money which we collect which is hopefully going towards making the video version of As It Occurs To Me uh, in 2016 we're hopefully going to start doing those on a monthly basis if people can keep on going so go to richtain go to richtain.com uh, and you'll be able to find out all the details of the kickstarter go to gofasterstrike.com slash badges if you want to help as it occurs to me keep going and thanks to everyone who has come to see the tour thus far it's been a real blast mostly going really well in terms of audience numbers all of them have been really good fun to perform if you are listening and the week of, that i'm recording this you can come and see me in my May gigs coming up is uh, Clevedon on Saturday. If you fail to get in to see me in my Bristol gigs, which sold out, uh, then I've got a run at Shrewsbury, Stockton, Leeds and Peterborough from the 7th to the 10th. Uh, but as it seems to be coming traditional, let's start the podcast proper by looking at the claims to fame that I gave uh, for the various towns in the routine about the oldest woman in Britain dying, uh, which has recently transformed into being about the oldest person in the world dying. Anyway, here are this week's claims to fame. Hope you enjoy them. And of course, they also give you a chance to find out where I was in this particular week, which was the first week in April. All these gigs are fun. That doesn't impress us, that idea. is we're from Bath. It takes more than that to impress us in Bath. The 2010 Mastermind Champion, Jesse Honey, came from Bath. So it takes more that is more impressive. A man recently ran the, the bar half marathon dressed as a telephone box. So it takes, takes more than that to impress. It's a very good telephone box. You have to train dressed as a telephone box as well. It's we have Lord Barth, he has pictures for the women he shagged that he's drawn up a staircase, so it takes more 
Lord Andy bloody thinks he can paint, but he can't paint because he's a lord. No one can say that is shit, mate, what you've done there. You've ruined a stately home there by drawing loads of shitty paint all over it. No one can tell him. And it's disgusting what you're doing, mate. There's pathetic notches on your bedpost. Don't draw pictures of them, at least keep it in a grubby diary somewhere. Now, does that not impress you in Andover? That, no, that doesn't impress us here in Andover. It takes more than that to impress the people of Andover, Richard. We're in the 1980s. Andover was one of the first places to get its own cable television network. Uh, cable vision or something it was called. It was, it was quite successful for a time. Andover, in Andover, King Edgar in 962, he... Uh, he had a, held a parliament just outside Andover in his hunting lodge. So it takes more... Yeah, I didn't know about that, did you? It takes more than that to impress. According to Wikipedia, the leisure facilities in Andover are gradually improving. So that is... It's, it takes more... Richard Arnold from GMTV was born in Andover, Richard, the slightly strange TV presenter. Slightly unsettling when you look at him. He's slightly something weird about him. He was born in Andover, so... And raised... Uh, and uh, the Trogs are from uh, Andover as well. Reg Presley, who believed in crop circles. <laughs> he is from Andover. So it takes more than that to... I know a lot about Andover, no, It's amazing what you can learn from Wikipedia. So... And as an interesting side note, one of the Trogs was in the audience, genuinely in the audience that day. I met him after the show. You can hear a little cheer in the audience uh, as the Trogs are mentioned. So it's a nice thing I mentioned. Anyway, let's get back to the... Claims to fame. There's one more to come. No, does that not impress you in Newbury? No, I'm sorry. That doesn't impress us here in Newbury, Rich. We, we're from Newbury. We've got a lot more impressive things. Bruno Brooks is from Newbury, Richard. So we are... And Keith Jegwin. It's unbelievable. They are both... Swampy is from Newbury, Richard. You remember the protester? I don't know if he actually protested the Newbury bypass, but he protested some other stuff. Uh, the Newbury parcels is from Newbury. So we are, it takes more... We are quite near to Donington Castle, so it takes more than that to impress us here. It, it impresses me, anyway. Uh... So as you'll have seen there, Bath was the first of these run of gigs uh, on the 2nd of April, I think it was. Uh, apologies for the poor sound quality for the Bath gig. I still hadn't located my microphone, which I'd lost somewhere along the line, along with many other objects on this tour that valuable objects have been destroyed or lost. Uh, so that was just it directing my phone. So I'll apologise for the quality of all the Bath recordings. But as you'll notice, the next thing I did have a new microphone. For the Bath gig, I was still uh, being tour managed by Luca at this stage. And uh, I, it's nice, the comedian in Bath, because they give you a nice meal. But uh, as I drove, was being driven to the gig, I got a phone call from my friend Russell Howard, who was in banter with me and who I stole lots of Haribos from when I briefly worked on his TV show. Uh, and he said he was in town and did I want to come out for dinner with him and his mum and dad, which was, uh, which was very nice to have a bit of company before the gig. Uh, and we went and had some ribs and various other bits and pieces. And I had a beer, which was a bit cheeky of me. 
Russell came to see the show, which is, makes it slightly nerve-wracking when you've got a friend in the audience, especially if the friend's a uh, comedian, so you are kind of always aware somewhere in the back of your mind that there's a comedian at the back of the room. You can sometimes hear them laughing at d different parts of the show. He particularly enjoyed uh, the uh, Lord Bath bit, which you've just heard, which did come out out of nowhere. I hadn't planned that. And it's kind of gratifying when something like that comes out, almost like a fully formed idea, uh, which could be a bit of material at some point, especially for Bath-based people. Um, I quite like Lord Bath's paintings in actual fact, but it is funny to slag him off. The wifeless thing, um, less impressed with. And it was a bit of an embarrassing start to the Bath gig as my microphone fell apart straight away as I went on stage and picked it out. This often happens... You pick the mic out of the mic stand and you accidentally, there's a little button on the side of something which connects the cable into the mic so you can change the head to the microphones easily. And I do that quite a lot. So the first time it happened, I just thought it was my usual cack-handed stupidity. It turned out that wasn't the case. Uh, but here's what here's a, story, a little story of my first half microphone troubles. This is what it's like as a professional comedian. Sometimes you're dealing with equipment that uh, isn't up to the top A grade. Thanks very much. I do this on purpose at the start of the gig to take a relaxed atmosphere, prove I'm professional. Uh, the microphone fell apart. Ha ha! Welcome to the show. Hello, Bob. How are you doing? Of course, at this stage, uh, I was just feeling a bit awkward and embarrassed that that had happened first thing uh, as I stepped on the stage, which often does. You pick up the microphone and it falls out of the, uh, out of the holder because you haven't known you've pressed the button by mistake. So I was just thinking that was me being a twat and wasn't really expecting it to happen again. But every time it happened, it happened to at least begin with just at some pertinent moment, either the beginning or end of a routine. Uh, so this is when the second time it happened in the show. Uh, this, in the recent years, bloody hell. It's, uh, you notice they're all just timed, so they work. It's like, it's a very clear, it's like Norman Collier, he had that routine, just make boom, working that one. I do a version of that, it's just this microphone falls apart every now and again. It's shoddy bath workmanship, that's what it is. This is a, a Roman microphone. So I was managing to talk my way out of it for the moment, uh, but it became increasingly annoying. Uh, the third time it happened was the most apposite moment, uh, as it turned out. That's John Donovan dead for 350 years by the time Matt Lovett said that, so he never got to hear the retort, which is a shame, because I think it might have shut him up. <laughs> it might have shut him up. That's the, that's... It falls up. That, that button, does that, I'm not pressing the button. This is, this is shoddy. Uh, this is a shoddy microphone. <laughs> someone's, done, someone's done that thing. I've done that. Um, I'm not going to do it because this microphone's already quite broken. Uh, and in that last bit, I was just uh, miming, throwing the microphone on the phone where you go, it's Richard Herring out and throw the microphone on the floor, which comedians sometimes do, especially American comedians seem to, to do that. So I'd realised at this point it wasn't actually my fault 
that this was happening. The, 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 it wasn't the button. There was the, there was just no click. So it just was very slowly sliding off, which made it a difficult job for me because I was trying to concentrate on doing the show. Uh, it was kind of an echoey room, which you can hear in a bit of a weird atmosphere. Uh, and But I was also so concentrating on making sure the mic didn't fall apart and wreck the show again. But despite my best efforts, that was uh, it did happen again. Here we go. I've taken a walk down my local high street of an evening. I've taken that one wasn't even a good point to do it. I've taken a walk down my local high street, just slowly slipping out like that. That's what, just the more you leave it, it slowly slips down. Like, you know, sometimes you put a condom on incorrectly and have sex during the thing slowly, and then it's off, and then, you, and then you've got a baby, and that's... Uh, I was feeling quite annoyed uh, by this stage, and it was, uh, you know, it was embarrassing having a, pr- a professional comedian in the room uh, as all this stuff was going wrong for me. But in the interval, it was all sorted out. So Luca and the tech guy got everything taped up, and I came back. It was very heavily taped up, so there was no way it could fall off again. Uh, that's what I thought, and I was correct. It didn't. Here was here. Here I am at the beginning of the second half with my new improved mic. They've stuck. Uh, that, is, that is literally unbreakable, but I'm going to try and break it. <laughs> go on, yeah, go on. Smash the mic. Go on. And that'd be slightly, it'd be fun for a second, and we go, oh, I can't really hear what he's saying from his shouting out. And we can build for a microphone. That's what they do. That's they get you so angry, you smash the broken mic, and then they do it. And apologies once again to the audiophiles for the poor quality of that bath recording. I think I was saying the people in Bath were tricking me into helping them buy a new microphone. Ha ha ha. So that was the 2nd of April. I had a few days off over Easter, went with my wife and baby to see my family in Cheddar. We had a Christmas dinner on Easter Sunday which was a terrible idea because my nephew had been away over Christmas and he loves Christmas. So we came back, we had a a joint Christmas and Easter day and it's too much to have a full dinner and then loads of chocolate. And I basically put on half a stone over that weekend, even though I ran around Cheddar Reservoir, one of my first runs for a while since having the baby. Um, I just ate way too much chocolate and it was disgraceful. Uh, And then at the end of that weekend, uh, it was our wedding anniversary for... uh, my wife uh, and I, obviously, <laughs> and, uh, and my other wife, I, she doesn't know about. It was also our wedding anniversary. Um, and so uh, we went out for dinner and we had a slightly weird uh, experience out and dinner. So I think this podcast, I think, might end up being about being married for three years. Um, I've got another little story I might uh, tell you about. Uh, but uh, I'll read this out from this is the Metro column I wrote about our. Uh, three-year anniversary. Last week was our third wedding anniversary. In three years, we've accrued two cats and one baby. So mathematics tells me that if we can make it to 30 years, we'll have 20 cats and 10 babies. We celebrated by going out for dinner at a posh restaurant. Thanks to our recent date at Buckingham Palace, I can no longer get away with Pretamonja. 
Though there is now a branch in London that serves dinner with wine, so I might try that. It was the first Tuesday after Easter, and as I, as tired new parents, we booked a table for 7.30pm. Uh, so I wasn't anticipating the place would be heaving, but I was quite surprised to find we were the only customers. I assumed people might start arriving at 8 or 8.30, but the door remained closed. It seemed we were going to be having a private dining experience. As cool as it was to have our own waiting staff and chef, I couldn't help but wonder if they were all annoyed that we were there. They could have had a night off. Also, why was no one else there? Had the place been responsible for a case of mass food poisoning? Were we the only ones who didn't know this was the restaurant the film Ratatouille was based on and our food was being prepared by vermin? At 9pm, some other patrons finally arrived. It was a young couple who were somewhat worse for wear, dressed in expensive casual clothes and both on their mobiles. This was the kind of place we might dress up to go to once a year as a treat, but I suspected from their blasé indifference that they were so rich this was equivalent, the equivalent to them to popping into Pizza Express. I was glad that they were there, though, not only because it made me feel less guilty, but because they pri provided some unexpected drama. They started snogging as soon as they sat down. On another night, this might have shocked the other customers so much that it would have made their monocles fall into their soup, but we found it funny. Then they started watching YouTube videos on their phones with the volume up high. The maitre d' rapidly approached and shushed them with his hands. They turned down the volume slightly. I wondered if they might have been employed by the restaurant in an upmarket version of those people who dress up as characters from Faulty Towers and throw food at you. Though in this case, the script was definitely by Mike Lee because the next, next the couple had what they thought was a hushed conversation and the guy rasps, you should have a pregnancy test. The words echoed round the empty room. Did you hear that? I whispered to my wife. Yes, she replied. Do you think they heard you saying, did you hear that? I don't know, I whispered, but they might have heard you saying, do you think they heard you saying, did you hear that? If they did hear any of it, they didn't react. They quickly ate their expensive food and left, leaving me wondering about their lives and the fate of the child that might or might not be gestating inside one of them. The restaurant was eerily quiet again and the staff vanished. Perhaps they'd all been ghosts and this was the setting of the real life, The Shining. I think it's about time for a Ratatouille Shining mashup. So that was a, a nice little uh, interlude of real life uh, in amongst the tours. Uh, and the show is about dancing and I very nearly went, I did want to dot more stories about dance throughout the show. I think I've talked about a couple of them in previous podcasts and forgive me if I start repeating myself but I don't think I've told this one um, but it's about how dance has never really meaned anything to me but then these occasional meaningful dances like the dance of the flamenco dancer I did mention and the dance of the Christmas trees at the Scope Christmas play that is in the show uh, as well as uh, me being turned off dance by that school disco I went to that again I mentioned in an earlier podcast but uh I was very happy dancing on one occasion, which was, in fact, that three years before this very night of weirdness in this posh restaurant um, on my wedding day. And uh, I hadn't really prepared very much. We'd, we'd, we'd not rushed the wedding, but we'd kind of decided to get married. And we want, once we decided, we wanted to do it quickly. Uh, and uh, we just booked a place and booked all the stuff. And we didn't spend ages preparing, as some people can. Uh, and it, it meant that quite a lot of work towards the end, which meant I hadn't really prepared my speech, which I winged it and would have been really awful if my dad hadn't eaten some lip balm just before I did my speech. There was little pots of lip balm. There was some mints and lip balm on the table because it was a posh hotel they were trying to show off. Um, my dad mistook the lip balm for some cheese and he ate it, uh, which, you know, Still gets a laugh. In fact, on that Easter weekend, my uh, nephew told, we told the story to my nephew's new girlfriend who's from Australia, and she really just pissed herself laughing, even without really telling the full story. So um, uh, I feel a bit sorry for my dad, who doesn't really enjoy that story being told, but um, it is quite funny. I mean, what point did he think 
maybe this isn't cheese. It doesn't really taste like cheese. Whatever. He's an, you know, he's an elderly Somerset man, and things were different in his day. And during the war, when he was a little nipper, that was the best they could do for cheese. It, it's beside the point. Um, and we uh, we had our first dance, of course, and we decided to dance to uh, Girl from Mars because I do a routine in the show. What is Love Anyway, which you must buy on DVD at GoFastStrike.com. It's only £10, I think, there. might be less than that. Uh, and uh, you can get it from me on tour for £10 if it isn't £10 on GoFastStrike. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I do a routine about how when I met her, I've, I, I wondered if my wife might have been an alien because she said some odd things about the West Wing and she wanted to build a Frere Rocher uh, pyramid, uh, but, but she wanted to do that but hadn't done it. It seemed pretty easy to me. So uh, we, we danced to Girl from Mars, but we hadn't prepared anything. We hadn't, some people do, um, you know, practice their dances and put on some choreographed display. Uh, but we hadn't really had a thought of it and hadn't even thought what we were going to do. And we sort of obviously had to go out and dance together. And because we'd had a couple of drinks. Um, and we, it was a very happy occasion. It was a... You know, I think maybe the happiest day of my life. I would say my the birth of my baby was the happiest day of my life, but that was such a weird experience that it it would slightly shock me more than made me happy. I'm very happy, I'm increasingly happy every day with my baby, but the actual day of her birth was a quite a traumatic experience. Uh, but the wedding was really lovely, and uh, we kind of were overcome with the joy of the experience and of being married and being in love still after all this time. Uh, and we just improvised a quite crazy dance. Where we just went for it, and uh, and the the our guests loved it. In fact, my niece, uh, who was about twenty one at the time, uh, couldn't believe she had. She said, "Oh, I can't believe you're so cool. You're so cool the way you danced." And we literally just. Um, I mean, when I watched it back, it's not that amazing. I think everyone was a bit drunk, but um, it was just you know a moment where we released and where when I was completely unselfconscious. So within the show, if I'd done this as a motif and had and had ditched all the other material because it would all have just been slightly serious stories about dancing, it was to go from that self-consciousness of the school disco and then finally to be in love and unselfconscious. I remember twirling my wife around and thinking, I'm quite drunk. This is she's bigger than I am, and this is quite dangerous. Uh, but and I, I felt like I could let go of her any second, but I held on to her, uh, and and she didn't. I didn't let go. It was all right. I held on to her because I realised that I've got a good one, and you know, as much fun as it would have been to kill my bride on our wedding day, it would have been that would have been a story to end a show on, wouldn't it? If I if I'd killed her, that would definitely have been in this show. But it just felt like another serious story. Uh, not quite a charming story. Um, I have managed to add lips and jokes into it um, just right now. But um, weirdly enough, our next, my next gig, which was like two or three days later, was in Andover, which I didn't remember having been to until I got there. And I knew I'd been to Andover at some point, but I couldn't, I couldn't picture what the theatre was. And this often happens, as I think I've said, you're driving around from town to town, and even though you've been to theatre quite often, sometimes you. You don't know which one it is until you get there. And I used to play Andover quite a lot in the past and haven't played there, as it turned out, for three years because Andover was the first gig I did after our honeymoon. That We had that weekend. It was an Easter weekend, I think, even then. And we went... Um, I might be wrong about that. Uh, we got married on the Saturday. On Sunday, we went to Paris. And we stayed in Paris on Monday and Tuesday. And then on the Wednesday, uh, we were home. 
and I went to Andover to do a gig, which seemed like a little bit of a come down. And in that, that was the What Is Love Anyway tour, and it was a really weird gig uh, at that time because I think it was all about me. That that was the big reveal that I was in love and I, I was going to get married uh, until the point I had got married. And I was sort of really conscious that I was wearing a wedding ring, and obviously I didn't want to take my wedding ring off having just got married. But I thought, all the way through, I thought, oh, they know I've got married. They know I've got married. Uh, and it was very quiet and and the worst gig, definitely, of that What Is Love Anyway tour <laughs> by some distance. So I got, to, I, re I returned to Andover. I realised where I was going as I drove up to it and I was trying to work out the last time I'd been there. It wasn't until I kind of got to the stage and went, oh, yeah, I remember. And weirdly enough, I would just happen to be wearing my wedding suit because when... Um, I'd lost my trousers in Edinburgh. My wife had brought, ended up bringing my wedding suit. I didn't ask for that one. She'd misunderstood which suit I wanted, but she brought my wedding suit to Norwich. So I'd done the Norwich gig in my wedding suit, and then I thought, well, I might as well wear it for the next couple as well, get some use out of it before I send it to the dry cleaners. So I was wearing my wedding suit on stage in Andover. And I was quite pleased that, as it turned out, there was still, even though I'd put on a bit of weight over the weekend in Cheddar, there was still some room in that suit even though three years had passed. I'd got fatter since and then got a lot thinner since and then got slightly fatter again. Uh, I am trying to work on getting back down to being thin, but the wedding suit is still over large, which after three years of marriage is a nice thing. And though I've just listened to this clip and realised it completely repeats everything I've just said in the intro, here is me saying all of those things to the people in Andover, with some of them slightly laughing. Hello! Hello, Andover! Ah! Oh. Fantastic to be back. It's been a little while since I've been here. I've just remembered the last time I came here uh, was um, the day after I returned from my honeymoon three years ago. I'd been, uh, I got married on, the, it was over Easter, I think, wasn't it? And I got married on the Saturday, went to Paris on the Sunday and Monday, came back on the Tuesday and then came to Andover on the Wednesday. <laughs> Which, you know, wasn't an anticlimax at all. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good to be back. I'm wearing, this is my wedding suit I'm coincidentally wearing. And look, it's like really that clan. Ridiculous. So three years on, this is. So that's, that's good to know. I've been married for three years. That's the, the good news. <laughs> it's almost to the day, in fact, because it was, it was oh, very interesting. All right, well, I'll carry on. Uh, so uh, I'll just carry on with the show. So and it's good for this podcast, but uh, in a way. But nothing much really happened at the end of the gig that was very exciting. In fact, after March, where there was a lot of crazy happenings at gigs, uh, the uh, there was a lot less variety going on in these gigs. But uh, uh, this is what happened at the end of the first half. It's not all that. Don't don't build up your hope. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I hope uh, you enjoyed the show. We're coming up to uh, interval now, uh, so go and have a wee or a drink, or just do anything you like. You know, it's fifteen to twenty minutes or whatever they decide. Well, you can do. You can have a dance if you want to. They were playing some disco music in the uh, bar, so they might do that again. I think you should all go and dance, and we should video it, and I'll put it on my DVD <laughs> as an extra. Uh, it's a good idea. Do that. So, uh, but I'm going to go backstage and play Adam's Family Pinball. So I'll see you in about 15 minutes. Cheers. Bye. -bye. They were very nice there in Andover, the staff. They had put on a little disco before the show, which is quite sweet. Uh, there wasn't that many people in. I can't remember what the audience size was. Um, but this was a quiet week, and I was doing this few these few gigs alone. Um, I didn't think it was worth uh, paying someone to come out with me to perform to 80 or so people. It kind of impacts quite strongly on uh, the the finance of the, of the, of the whole thing. Um, 
so yes, yeah, so I went to Andover on my own uh, and was looked after very well. And then the next day I went to New Greenham, which is in Newbury, very near to Newbury, as it turns out uh, on the army base that uh, Green, Greenham Common was where the nuclear missiles were, which I had never known all the times I've been there. I usually go to this gig to do uh, previews. I won't say too much because I, I did a bit backstage on this and I haven't listened back to it. Um, so I probably say all this again. I don't want to bore you by repeating everything twice, but, you know, why not? <clears throat> okay, I'm backstage at Newbury. Greenham Arts Centre, which is on the former... I didn't realise this on the former Green and Con uh, RAF base. I don't, obviously knew that was around here somewhere, but uh, that's one of the things I dug up in my research. I don't think I'll bother telling them about that at home during the show, I mean. Um, so, yes, it's kind of slightly more difficult week this week. In I'm playing small, some smaller venues with smaller crowds. Last night in... Uh, uh, where was I even last night? Andover had my first sub-100 crowd. Uh, it's all about 97 tonight before about two hours ago, so we might just have crept over the 100 tonight, but uh, after those kind of fantastic gigs in March, it's a bit of a, a more of a struggle to perform to smaller crowds, but uh, once upon a time, all the, this would have been a, a big crowd, and even by the standards of recent tours, it's, uh, there's been less of these. And often you get, last night in uh, Andover, the I've got more appreciative comments and tweets than proportionately certainly than from a lot of the other gigs. So it all uh, it all balances out, I suppose. But um, yeah, it's just I guess it's just a tiring part of the tour. It's thirty-ish to go. Um, I've been driving myself this week. The, I've been looking after the baby a lot at night, so I am a bit tired as well. Um, and yesterday there had been a week off between gigs and it was partly, oh my goodness, what comes next? But uh, I'm looking forward to tonight. This is a gig I usually do as a warm-up at the Green Arts, so this is the first time I've been here for a couple of years. My name is on the Wall of Fame, which is where people who are here just sign their name on the wall from 2013, so that was the last time I was here. Um, but yes, uh, we'll see how it goes tonight. Yeah, so that's pretty tragic <laughs> sounding. It, it does get difficult in the middle of the tour and when you do a few little ones uh, and you sort of have to G yourself up to go on so often before a show, uh, it's it's a little bit depressing. Uh, sorry to bum you out by playing <laughs> that little bit. Uh, the high squeak during that, I think, came from the toilets, which are right next to the dressing room. There's a drawer. There's, I think I will discuss it in the routine in a bit as well, as I did repeat myself last time. But there's a door between the dressing room and the toilets and the dressing room in the backstage. So I think that unusual high squeak there, which will have annoyed the audio files, came from a toilet being flushed, which pretty much sums up uh, this level of gigging. Um, I'm really glad that I'm doing gigs like this, but there's also like a little voice in my head that makes me feel like by still going to the, to New Greenham and uh, I'm not even selling it out, that you know somehow my career is a failure. Uh, that this is one of the gigs that maybe is it feels like a, a newer acts kind of gig, um, but it's like a bizarre thing because it's you know it's three or four miles from the nearest town, and um, it's. Uh, 
again, very, very lovely people running it and always a nice audience. There's a very nice curry place there as well, but it's every time I do, drive there, they, they shut the, one of the gates on the way out uh, as you get onto the, the old base. And every time I leave, I always go the wrong way and have to turn around because there's a, my satin telling me to go one way and um, then my way is barred. So it's a little bit like a creepy start to a film where a man is killed after doing a gig to 100 people. Um, but again, not too much in, in Newbury. I did a weak opening where I tried to mess around and didn't get much out of the audience and ploughed onwards. I won't embarrass myself by playing that to you. Uh, and there was a little bit at the end of the second half that, uh, again, the, the variation on... I hope uh, you've enjoyed the show so far. We're going to have a quick interval. You can go and have a drink or a wee or whatever you like. You can go and have a dance if you want. You can go and pay, to, pay a man to dance for you if that's... <laughs> That's what you like. If you pay me, I might dance for you. Uh, but I suppose you have, in a way. Uh, I, better, I better shut up. Uh, so, I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take, I don't want to take a drink of water now because I've got water backstage and this is just wasting a valuable second of your life. Uh, but thank you. I'll, I'll see you in about 20 minutes. All right, cheers, bye. Uh. And I thought I'd leave that little bit at the end there where I come off stage and exhale to no one. There was no one backstage. I didn't have a tour manager. That was me up as I was on stage and then coming off stage and obviously feeling a little <laughs> drained. Uh, some of these gigs I was mightily tired at. Uh, I think it got worse a little bit later in the run, but some of them, um, the, you know, having to drive back after some of these gigs on my own was a little bit trickier, tired from having the baby. But uh, it's all part of the rich tapestry of touring and the beauty is, is getting through all of that and, and still hopefully doing a good show, which I was still up on the stage. But that little ah, the, the involuntary ah coming off stage is possibly the most tragic sound you will hear during <laughs> this run of podcasts. I hope so anyway. But here I am at the start of the second half discussing that. Secret door to the toilet, amongst other things. Hey, you had a good interval. Uh, did you pay any men to watch? To what? Did you pay any men to dance for you? No. That's terrible. Uh, I quite like this venue because uh, the dressing the dressing rooms are the other side of the toilet. So there's uh, there's always like a little Russian roulette about when I'm going to. So there's a door between the toilet, and my dressing room. So I can. It's like Mr. Mr. Ben's adventure. <laughs> can, well, for you, you could go in the toilet, you could come into the dressing room, it would be a bit weird. But it's like going, when I have to choose my moment and I go to the loo, and will I be going to the loo at the same time as the audience? It's exciting. It is an exciting thing for me. You usually have, you know, most venues, you have your own toilet. But it's nice to have your own, at least have my own door to the toilet, you know. So that makes me feel, that makes me feel quite special. That made me feel, self, feel quite sad listening back to that. Uh, I think if you're an audience member, you probably wouldn't notice the difference between one gig and the next. And I hope that I've got, again, lots of people seem to like that show in New Greenham. Mm. Uh, and it's much harder, of course, performing in a tiny room. But when you, it's weird, isn't it, when you compare the energy, uh, certainly of offstage, but even the little mistakes I'm making there in that little bit, to, um, to the, the shows from the week before where I was, or when I was in all those stand clubs and glee clubs. But, uh, it, you know, it, it was, I was very tired. It was quite a tricky little bit to do all these gigs on my own. And um, the next night I knew I was going to Sligo in uh, the next day. In fact, I was going to Sligo and having to get up at seven o'clock in the morning, probably earlier than that, 
to uh, get a cab to Luton Airport, of all places, uh, was where my flight went for to go to Sligo, uh, which I was doing a festival called the Spike Sligo, which is in a new festival of music and comedy in honour of Spike Milligan. Um, and I didn't record the show that night. I just did um, an hour um, of highlights of the show. I did do some of the stuff about Sligo, which uh, it's a shame I didn't uh, record that. But if you want to hear some of the stuff that happened there, look, check out the Rich Chains Leicester Square Theatre podcast audio on the British Comedy Guide and iTunes. Uh, you'll be able to hear a lot of the stuff I would later do as the facts about Sligo. It means uh, abundance of shells. Uh, that's what the town name means, which I found quite exciting. And uh, Westlife, mainly from there. As you'll find out if you listen to my fantastic guest, Sophie Hagen, who's a, a new comedian, but a very great comedian, and who did a fantastic show about her obsession with Westlife as a teenager, uh, which I went to see and thoroughly enjoyed, and I can highly recommend that. I believe she's going to be going to doing that at other festivals, hopefully at the Edinburgh Fringe. I'm not sure about that. But if you get a chance, Sophie Hagen, check her out, and check her out in the podcast, and you can find out if you like her. You should like her. She's amazing and very interesting. But her show was had a lot of depth to it. It was about depression and uh, about obsession and uh, some honest stories uh, that um, you know she was didn't always come out of fantastically well, uh, which is I always like. Uh, and I also did her podcast, Comedians Telling Stories. You can hear me on that, telling some stories that I, I don't come particularly well out of either. She then later emailed me and asked me if she could use a quote about her show, which I'd used in my blog, uh, and said she found that embarrassing. I said, you found that embarrassing after all the stuff we said in the podcast. So it's, that's the interesting psyche of the comedian. Uh, but I had a lovely time, and it was nice to hang out with other comedians and some new comedians I didn't know, some Irish comedians. But it was a tricky weekend of flying to, uh, what's it called, Knock Airport, where there's some miracle had happened there, and they built a, an airport in Ireland, which is handy for getting to this... Sligo, Sligo, which is a beautiful place, I have to say. I wish I had a bit more time to spend walking around, but I was very uh, tired. And, uh, and then came back the next day, and my flight was late, thankfully, because my taxi driver had also been late. That's the kind of Irish way. My show went up. The podcast went up half an hour late. My show went up 45 minutes late. People just rocked up. Again, not too many people in on either of those shows, but... They were both a lot of fun. And it's fun to be get the chance to tour. I think, again, as a younger comedian, when you got a chance to fly somewhere, that was the most exciting thing ever, especially if it was Australia or Canada. But even Ireland, the idea of getting a free flight somewhere and staying in a hotel was very exciting. But now, as a slightly more cynical older man, that aspect of uh, the job is slightly more wearing. And I think I remember being a young comedian, looking at people in theatres, either other comedians or staff who were who seemed jaded and weren't excited about their job. And I was thinking, how can they not love the fact that they're staying in a hotel and getting to go out and about and doing shows? It's amazing. And now I'm an old comedian. I sort of do understand it a bit more. Uh, so I think I'll leave it there. We've got 40 minutes, amazingly, out of this slightly less exciting and slightly more depressing week. I hope you, <laughs> I hope you still managed to get some enjoyment out of it. I recorded the intro to this podcast yesterday, so I can't remember what I said, so forgive me if I repeat myself, but here are the upcoming gigs. I've got a, that's uh, Smithers there complaining in the background, if you heard that, my cat, not uh, the character from The Simpsons. Uh, I am in Clevedon on the 2nd of May, uh, which I, both my Bristol shows sold out very quickly, and uh, they put in this extra gig in Clevedon, which is basically 
part of Bristol, more or less. There's quite a lot of tickets left for that one. So uh, if you're in Bristol and miss my shows, then do come along and catch that. Uh, then there's a few days off. Then I've got a, my last major run away from home. So I'll be away from my baby again, which will be a shame. I'm really enjoying having some time with her at the moment. Uh, and it's the 7th of May I'm in Shrewsbury, which is always fun. 8th of May in Stockton on Tees. 9th of May at Leeds City Varieties. Always a massive highlight of the tour. I think there's literally a handful of tickets left there, kind of dotted around. But uh, do try and come along if you can. Then in Peterborough, where I imagine nobody's coming. Uh, that is my guess. So come and see those shows. And then, of course, my DVD record is on the 15th of May, also the 14th of May. I'm at the Bloomsbury Theatre. Um, plenty of tickets for the 14th left. It's selling quickly on the 15th. I would prefer if you came on the 15th, because that's the one we're recording. So, uh, And go to richherring.com and check out all of those remaining gigs. And uh, Bridport added recently, which I didn't know about. I think I mentioned that. And uh, there is a Kickstarter started up for Rich Change Less Square Theatre podcast to be filmed. If you go to my website, you can find out details of how to get involved in that. Uh, check out the newsletters. There's a brand new, exciting newsletter, which you should sign up for. Go to richchange.com slash newsletters. A, you'll be able to see all the details of everything that's going on and see that Kickstarter link. And B, you'll be able to sign up for the newsletter so it gets delivered into your inbox if it doesn't go into your junk folder like it did for me. So check your junk. Always check your junk. I check in my junk. It's full of delicious spam. Um, and, yeah, you could, if you don't want to do donate to the Kickstarter for Rahalastapur, Rahalastapur, then you can donate to my badge fund, which will now all be going towards, hopefully, a series of As It Occurs To Me, which should be coming up in the next year, 2016, if we can get it together. Go to gofosterstripe.com slash badges. If you've enjoyed any of these podcasts and just want to make a small contribution, one-off or monthly, preferably, and you get invited in, in, entered into all kinds of prize draws. If you're monthly, you get uh, special emails about who's coming up on these podcasts. You also get access to a secret channel with bonus extras with other stuff from backstage at the Leicester Square Theatre Podcasts, plus lots, lots more. Um, yeah, we'll be back uh, hopefully next time. When I say we, I do mean me and Smithers. We'll be back, maybe Phoebe, who knows? We'll be back at some point next week, maybe with the next one of these to find out where I went next on the tour and um, it must nearly be the end of the series of these now. I've used up most of the stories I, I have uh, about touring getting a little bit repetitive I apologise for that but uh, hope you're still finding it interesting and I will see you next time come and see me on tour if you can that is the best way of paying me back for doing these free podcasts. Cheers, bye!